I think it's me, right? <laughs> yep. <laughs> Hello, and welcome to the Library Coven, a bi-weekly podcast in which two bookish besties discuss mostly YA fantasy through the lens of intersectional feminist criticism. Why? Because critique is our fangirl love language, and because talking about books is pretty magical. I'm Jesse, And I'm Kelly. And today we'll be discussing Sia Martinez and the Moonlit Beginning of Everything by Raquel Vasquez-Gilliland, um, which follows Sia on a wild adventure as she deals with the murder of her mother, friendship woes, and falling in love. Oh yeah, and aliens. Oh yeah, just, <laughs> just a few aliens sprinkled in. Uh, chaos does indeed ensue, and there is so much to talk about. So we're really looking forward to talking about this book. Yeah, it's going to be a good conversation. What are your initial reactions, Jesse? Start us off. All right. I listened to the audiobook of this novel, which was narrated by Inez del Castillo, and it was amazing. There was so much happening in this story. It's very fast paced, and I loved all the characters and some of the conversations that we're going to get to talk about as a result of the things happening in this beautiful story. Um, yeah, I would probably read anything by this author again now. So. I should see what else I have out there. <laughs> what about you? Just echo so many of your sentiments. I got the physical copy because I saw the cover and was like, I need it. I love Swaro Cacti. I was like, oh my gosh, this is a gorgeous, almost like, it's almost the transsexual flag colors here. You know, pink, <laughs> white, light blue. There's stars, like what the desert. There's a skull in the front. What's not to love? Oh my gosh. It's beautiful. <laughs> Um, so I was like, I need to have it. And then I'm so glad I got the physical copy because it's like, this is a book that I want to have. It's one of my favorites that we've read in a long time. One of my favorite books that I've read in a long time, I think. Um, just really resonated from the first page to the last page. This book is a total gem, I thought. Character development, pacing, like you said. And for me, especially the prose, like the actual writing was just gorgeous and poetic and yeah, just filled my cup. Loved it. It seems like they left the ending kind of open. So I would love another Sia book. Porfa, please. And just like in general, massive thank you to the author for bringing this novel into this particular strand of the multiverse. Yeah, we love to see it. <laughs> Recommend if you like. Um, I said Unidentified Suburban Object by Mike Jung for a middle grade wreck that's kind of similar, deals with issues of Asian immigrants to the United States. There's aliens in the book um, and deals with some of like the racial, like not undertones in this book, overtones. Um, <laughs> just tones, lots of just tones. tones. Yeah, just <laughs> racial tones. Um, but if you want like a middle grade wreck for someone, uh, I think that would be a good book. Also, Dear America by Jose Antonio Vargas, uh, which recounts the true story of growing up undocumented in America. Vargas is um, Filipino, if I remember correctly, and didn't know that he was undocumented until he was like 16 years old. Um, so I think that was a good story and kind of portrays what it's like living undocumented in the United States um, and like kind of how people deal with that and the way that they fight for rights here in the United States. So um, I think that pairs really well with this book. Those are great. I like the idea of like, a, you know, adding like a bit of a contemporary memoir that would maybe be mm -hmm. and then also like a middle grade that are adjacent, you know, to the book that we're reading. Yeah. That's awesome. Um, my 
uh, next recommendation is a bit less transcendental, but I said <laughs> would say Stranger Things. I um, think it's a great rec. Because it's like, it's a super place-based um, story, right? And then there's also a government conspiracy. There's young people and adults banding together, which I really enjoy seeing that when the adults can just like be humble enough to accept that young people have things to contribute. So Agreed, I really like yeah. that. Um, there was also when I was scrolling through doing my um, notes this morning, there's also a book mentioned in the novel itself, which is Aristotle and Dante discover the secrets of the universe by I don't know if it's Benjamin or Benjamin Alire Science. I think I've seen the cover of this. Isn't it like a, a person and their dog and just like a beautiful skyscape or something like that? I think it's like a. I con- think so. Yeah. I think it's a contemporary YA. It is. Fiction. Yeah. Right. Do you know about this yeah, book? You probably do. Yeah. 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 It's and it's queer. Um, I haven't read it, but it's like very popular on like bookstagram. Uh, maybe less popular on TikTok, but I do see like a lot of people have read that book and really like it. So if you're into contemporary queer stories, that's probably a good, probably a good choice. Yeah. And then this last one um, just really resonated with me because there's moments in Cia Martinez and the Moonlit Beginning of Everything where like this hunter hunted dynamic gets totally flipped around. You know, I had just watched like Sia's mom says something in the book about like, you know, then they started hunting me, right? And then mm-hmm. Sia, later on, someone asks her if she's afraid of them, of, like as in the government, the big bad, whatever. And she's like, I think they should be more afraid of me. And so then this... And she's right. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I oh, love that sentiment. And this made me think of the movie Prey, which just came out on Hulu. It's the latest in the Predator franchise and is about um, a badass Comanche woman and her dog in 1719 um, Predator lands. And yeah they they hunt predator together and it's just so fucking badass and you know it totally takes this like who is prey who's the predator and is messing with all of that um yeah so if you want like a thriller it's not i mean some of it was kind of body horror-y but it wasn't yeah i think it's like marked it marketed as like horror movie yeah but it it yeah wasn't on the like mega awful gory side of things i mean there were some moments where i was just like no thank you (laughs) but but yeah highly recommend that was a really good movie and also (laughs) made me think of this book so why did we choose this book jesse um so my friend cynthia absolutely loved this book and she never fails with a good recommendation let me tell you what so follow cynthia on instagram at cynthia's reading list for all kinds of reviews of all kinds of books um she's an amazing librarian and I love her. And I don't actually think she will hear this, but can we wrangle <laughs> her, her onto the show at some point? <laughs> I know we probably should have for this book. Um, but Kelly remembered that Cynthia had wrecked this book like to hell and back. And Kelly was like, we should read this book. <laughs> I was like, we need so to. So thanks, Kelly. <laughs> um, we also want to give a content warning before we get into this book. This book makes mention. And so our conversation will touch on topics of sexual assault, child abuse, ICE, police, racism, bullying, PTSD, and Harry Potter. Um, It's got a long list. So just want to forewarn you. So if you need to come back and listen to this later or skip this episode, take care of yourselves. Time to talk about world building and through the wardrobe. So this book takes place in our real world, except about halfway through the book, we find out aliens exist. (laughs) (laughs) Just a tiny asterisk. 
<laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, maybe like ET-esque, maybe, but the 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 aliens are like humanoid, so I guess more like Star Wars-y, maybe. There's like human aliens, or they seem they like look like humans to us. Um we don't read we don't read that many books that take place in our real world at all. <laughs> it seems um, like a kind of like a it was in the Sonoran Desert, definitely, because of all the saguaro cacti. Um and then at the end, they make mention of potentially moving to Tucson. Um, mm-hmm. So it sounded like they were in a small town in the desert. Yeah, there were these, a lot of, especially with the newspaper, some very small town moments, I think. Yeah, yeah. Um, and like the moments in the high school, too, where just see, uh, you could just picture everything that was happening. Yeah. I think because you mentioned it earlier, it kind of reminded me of like Stranger Things vibes, uh, because like it's like 80s montage esque thing. Like the bully is like a piece of shit. Like I feel like we don't really get like big bad school bullies and stuff anymore because like people are more aware of that it's going on. And so some of that stuff just like mm-hmm. because you brought up Stranger Things, I think it, now that I'm thinking back on it, I was like, oh, I was kind of picturing like a small town and stuff. <laughs> Right. You got like scenes in the high school. You've got like the the kids ganging up together to, you know, help defeat the government. That's awful. And I'm like, yes, more of these, more of this, please. Yeah. Um, in this book, we also get like this portrayal of Katya, who's kind of like the bad alien, but she's doing it for all the right reasons. <laughs> um, and like kind of a connection to La Llorena. Uh Hopefully I pronounced that right. Yorona. Um, Yorona. Yorona. Oh, that's it. Yeah. Um, which I think my first encounter with this like woman was from the movie Coco, which is like one of my favorite movies because <laughs> there's like the song about her. And then actually I just finished reading the love hypothesis. Just so you know, we're recording this in September. <laughs> um, <laughs> and there's mention of ya- La Yorena in that book as well. Um, but I was funny how they like put these two stories together of Katya and this like mythological woman who has lost her children and is like on this journey to kind of reconnect with them. And I really like this aspect of the book. I thought that was cool from like um, a mythological standpoint that maybe a lot of people aren't familiar with. Completely. And how like Sia is compassionate enough to be able to see that that's what's going on with Katya I, I love how it's like you're, what you're explaining made me think of like, you know, that process through which archetypes like this gain meaning, you know, and then mm-hmm. how they're helpful to to us to understand what's going on in our lives, you know, and, and maybe uh, understand what's going on with the people around us. There was so much just cultural, religious and spiritual syncretism, like combinations, mixing, cauldron like of creation and then something amazing and comes out of it. And so yeah, we get this, like, I really enjoyed seeing the, um, you know, family spiritual practices and cultural practices that seem to like just make the world incredibly vibrant. And, you know, from La Guadalupe to St. Caterai to St. Anthony, you know, it's just like all of these figures themselves, you know, are also the product of like cultural mixing. And I think like related to that, we get a lot of creation stories, not just from um, Sia, but even from Noah as well. Um, and I love how Sia and her family felt they were descended from corn and Sia liked to ask people what plants they were descended from. So if you've been on TikTok anytime in September slash August, 
corn. All I can hear in my voice and like in my head is that it's corn song and that little kid <laughs> who I love. Um, but I just thought this was really interesting to think of um, like the different creation stories that come out of different cultures and, and religions and belief systems. Um, this wasn't one that I had heard of before. And so I just thought this was really cool. I love the, are you, what plant are you descended from question? Can I Mm -hmm. throw that to you? I knew you were going to ask it. I wrote it down to ask you. (laughs) (laughs) Mm, That's a hard one. I don't think I know enough about plants. Unfortunately, Mm -hmm. I do really love sunflowers. So I'm just going to pick that one because why not? Okay. The other one I was thinking (laughs) about you you would maybe be wheat because of all the baking and flour. Oh, okay. Yeah. That's a, that's a much better answer. So yeah, wheat. (laughs) (laughs) What about you? you. Um, What about me? Um, Good question. (laughs) Good question, Zia. Um, I think maybe creosote which is also called chaparral and i have some of it on my little desk altar here my aunt sent me like a little ziploc bag full of dried creosote (laughs) and it smells like kind of i'm literally smelling it right now (laughs) for everyone if they can't speak it smells like kind of smoky and it's just like rugged and beautiful and is in the desert and it just smells incredible after it rains and it's a little bit hidden and it's tough nice oh Love it. Um, there's also a lot of Spanish spoken throughout this story. I think more than in other books we've read where the character slash author speak Spanish. And I really like the addition um, of that to the book because none of it seemed forced and um, like it all made sense within the story. But then like everything didn't have an explanation for people who didn't speak or read Spanish. But I think you could, like other authors, uh, the author did a really good job of like putting it in context to the point where even if you didn't speak Spanish, you would understand what was going on Um, and explaining when it like would have been confusing for a non-Spanish speaker. So I really enjoyed that part of the book. And I love seeing that in books we read where the author speaks another language. I couldn't agree more. And it seems like there seems to be, I don't know if it's in the publishing industry, just like more, I don't know, of a like infrastructure that supports that whether it's like with good copy editing or with like good changing between languages with form like italics or not it seems like they've you know authors more authors are asserting themselves in their voices that are not monolingual um and you know i think that the like the the book making makers are figuring out a little bit better now with time how to how to do that yeah definitely <clears throat> let's discuss all things magic so there's like little bits of magic in this book i wouldn't say it's like as overt as some of the other books that we've read because this is kind of like a blend of fantasy and science fiction um but see it and the women in her family can speak to the dead which i thought was really cool amazing <laughs> i'm like can i have this power i know i think it would be really useful um it's probably it's something really cool. you can get better with practice i would imagine <laughs> And I like it because also, like, um, even though, like, Sia's grandmother is dead, like, they still get to be in communication with each other. And I guess it's maybe a little bit how Sia knows that her, like, it seems like in the back of her mind, Sia knows that her mom's not dead because she's not able to speak to her. So I kind of like this because it's like you don't really lose the person because you still have the ability to be in communication with them. Mm -hmm. And it just, like, makes overt the connection that 
is already there and will always be there. And it's just like a little extra comforting maybe to feel like you could communicate them in a, mm-hmm. in a different way. Or if people do actually do that, then that's cool. Yeah. Yeah. Speaking of grandma, grandma was like the, the steward of so many of these magical traditions. I'm just like abuela vive, uh, like abuela <laughs> vibes forever. Oh my gosh. And I love the idea of moon work. Sorry, my dogs are barking. You might hear them. Um, <laughs> yeah, like going out, following the moon cycles and just like honoring this different cyclical way of time. So many different cultures like paired activities with different phases of the moon, like planting along with different phases and harvesting and and all these things. And I just have am so much more, yeah, just like persuaded by these cyclical visions of time that honor like the astral bodies that are actually around us instead of some like weird made up dude with a beard in the sky. Um, we also have aliens in this book, as we mentioned before. Aliens exist, and Sia's mom and now Sia can like slow down slash control time. Um, they have super strength. I'm not sure what their other powers may be. The and invisible stuff, the shadow book. stuff, right? Can't they like blend into oh, nothingness yeah, yeah. for some time or something? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I don't know if there's another ser- like sequel to this book or if there's going to be because it was kind of left on like open ended. I think like you mentioned before, so. Like anything could happen. (laughs) Exactly. Anything could happen. I was just like, I don't know what I thought when this, when this came up, but like the, the whole idea that the alien experiments, um, worked on Sia's mom because the alien that the blood was coming from was like in love with her. This made me think of Hulk and that scene where like his, or she Hulk really. And where like Hulk's blood goes into the cut on her arm. And then like all of a sudden she's a Hulk also. And I'm just like, this is kind of what I'm envisioning happening to see his mom in her like experiment. And, but it's just like, yeah, Sia made some comments about like, yeah, you couldn't love anyone else. Yeah. Yeah. Fucker. How many people had to die. And I'm like, yeah, you can't control it. But at the same time you could like, I don't know, have some compassion and it doesn't have to romantic love doesn't have to be the be all end all of everything. Yeah, no, I agree. But we have seen this um, before as like love or I don't know if we've seen this before as love being necessary for like the blood magic or science, whatever, because magic and science in this book are like the same thing um, to work. I don't know if we've seen that before. I don't think so. It was like a new element that I wasn't expecting. Yeah, it was different than I think other blood magic we've seen. Now we're going to talk about conflict, villains, and good versus evil in our segment, Get Me Kylo Ren. So there are so many things for Get Me Kylo Ren. The majority of the episode, perhaps. We'll see. Yeah. There's just so much racism happening in this book. To see it and her family because they're Mexican, Mexican immigrants. Her mom is undocumented. Um, to Rose because she's black. And then to Omar because he's Middle Eastern like slash like Muslim. So I'm just like, they really like put just about everything you could into this book to show like probably how these small towns slash you know border towns bordering with Mexico um like how they probably actually work (laughs) yeah and you know I can it's hard to read so I can only imagine how hard it is to experience you know Mm -hmm. day after day and the accumulation of all of that um yeah the the book definitely didn't shy away from it and I would I was almost like put it in the world building or I would say that you could put it as part of the world building, you know, cause it does create this atmosphere of 
um, fear and like surveillance for the non-white folks that are in the community. Yeah. Um, and to that end, we see like the government is experimenting on immigrants and it seems like undocumented immigrants in particular. Um, I assume because they think like people expect them to be taken from their homes and move back, like move back across the border. Um, but also probably some kind of like idea that no one's going to miss them, which just was like a terrible thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm like, why? Just why? Well, and it's just like, it's honestly not that fictional to say the government preys on the most vulnerable, which, cause that's what happens, mm-hmm. you know? And in the, yeah, the, the book had the government like, quote unquote, rescuing the people who are near death out in the desert, trying to cross this made up border. And then those who they're experimenting on. So like they take the people in the most vulnerable conditions and they're saying, we're, we're saving you, we're helping you um, and trying to spin it in the most like vile way. And at one, at one point, Noah is having a conversation with Sia's mom and which who, I think her name is Lena. So maybe we should give her her name. <laughs> <laughs> it's hard when it's like a character's parent. I'm like, I will not remember their names because in my head, they're mom and dad. <laughs> exactly. Right. Um, and Noah asks like, okay, so what's the government's end goal? And Sia's mom is basically like IDK immortality. Yeah. And honestly, this is like a super common core, core, core thing that animates a lot of dead white guy sci-fi is this mm. like the search for immortality. Like that's how a lot of the post human gets created in the, like, I don't want to die. I need to defeat death sorts of things. Um, gain more strength, be the most powerful. And it just like was really reminiscent of all of the dead white guy sci-fi I read for my dissertation. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then also something else that, you know, I wanted to comment on in, in relation to what you're saying about like the government and its experiments on immigrants. And it's like obviously violent and oppressive antics is like the role that the news media plays and publicity both play in like either furthering the government's agenda or potentially interrupting it by like putting them on the spot and making the like people's eyes on it um, and giving like the government essentially like surveil the government, the people actually watching the government and holding the government accountable. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. And I think we see this like in the ways that like, especially on social media, we see like an inter, well, I guess on my side of social media, cause like we yeah. all live in our own little bubbles and our spaces, but we see the ways that people will bring attention to things that maybe wouldn't have gotten attention otherwise, which I think is one of the positive roles that social media can play in society. Mm-hmm. But of course on the other side of that, and because I don't agree with it, I think, you know, other social media sites are, accounts or whatever can like really perpetuate these stereotypes and that's something i don't see because it's not part of my my bubble (laughs) my space on the internet but yeah that's a really good point we see the brutal realities of living undocumented and being torn away from family by the police and ice in this book and kind of the way that the police and ice can and do work together obviously this is not the case in every place you know um some uh like I guess precincts or counties or whatever do a better job of protecting um, undocumented folks than others. But uh, this book really highlights, and I think partly because uh, of where it is, the ways that police might interact with undocumented people. And it made me think about, I don't remember the guy's name, and obviously he doesn't deserve any of my headspace. Um, But that sheriff who was like working with ICE and pulling people over to check their papers, like, in Arizona or whatever. So it kind of gave me like those vibes. hundred percent. 
And I was just, while you were saying that, looking up some, some things about the border and just the, like the hundred mile border enforcement zone that CBP has, mm-hmm. Customs and Border Patrol mm-hmm. has, whereas like the border, they have jurisdiction within a hundred miles of the border, essentially. And about how governments are constantly expanding and paying for police forces and military tactical forces to hunt people. Like that's yeah. what's happening. Because that I thought the book like really showed how the authorities were stalking Sia's mom, like literally yeah. hunting her. Like again yeah. to the like the prey, uh, you know, re- or watch a like, you know, because there there was a lot of this like. And then at the end, when the government is coming for them, you know, they're having to like they're checking cars, they're doing all this stuff, and it's just like the, yeah, ICE cops, but like the police abolish, melt it down. No, thank you. Um, we also see Jeremy, who's like the school bully, and he's Noah's brother. I don't know if he's Noah's just his brother or his half brother. I mean, half brother. You have okay, yeah. And when you have half siblings, people treat them differently. So maybe I mean because they have a bad relationship, they would consider each other half brothers. But I know some families don't make that distinction, right? And I respect that. Um, but uh, Jeremy, we see that he's like the product of his upbringing by his racist police father. Um, and Noah obviously lived away from his dad, um, for quite some time. So he's just like a very different person. And I liked this portrayal. It's hard because they're in high school in the book, but I like this portrayal because I think it's easy to forget that some people and their upbringings will turn them into specific kinds of people that they can kind of get away from as they grow older. Um, but this was kind of like, a nature versus nurture thing going on here where the book is obviously showing us that that things happen on the nurture side as opposed to maybe nature. Um, But I appreciated this, even though I hated Jeremy and I'm like, yeah, kick his ass. (laughs) Oh, that scene was so cathartic. I can, oh my God, watching Sia like in the book and just experiencing that, like, yeah, what her dad's saying, like, Violence isn't always the answer. 99 perhaps percent of the time. Yeah. But I mean, maybe yeah. I don't agree with that percentage, but it's like it is one tactic of many, you know? And yeah. Yeah. That was so cathartic watching Sia be like, fuck you, racist piece of shit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But I think also in a YA book, I like how this leaves space for like feeling some kind of sympathy towards Jeremy. Like yes. he never stood a chance, you know? And so a reminder for maybe for young people and us too, like sometimes people do things not because they thought other like thought they should do something else but because like this is the way they were brought up and like they maybe didn't have a chance and like showing some compassion for them um which can be really difficult and really hard and i i'm very bad at it but you know just kind of like yeah but especially for kids like saving like some room for grace and compassion with them i really am glad that you brought this up because we do see author the author shows us through sia you know having these Mm -hmm. sorts of revelations and understanding Jeremy in his context. And, yeah. and um, I think it, it helps her with her own journey and her PTSD around her experience yeah. with him, which we'll talk about later. Um, there was one comment that really stuck with me and I loved it. And it was on page in chapter 149. Sorry, I don't have the page, um, but it's like the white witch. Um, Sia talks about like quote unquote white rich witchcraft of, you know, essentially this like 
really sinister alchemy that goes on in like the white mind that like of ignorance, like the, the essentially the privilege of being ignorant about things that don't affect your own personal experience. And then also forgetting if you are made aware of it, you know, but you don't have to live it all the time. You can just put it aside and not worry about it sometimes. And also just like complicity and complacency. And this came in the context of Sia talking about the whole like quote unquote kids in, kids in cages debacle, which you know, so much to talk about there, like news media and all the things, but um, that is essentially constant, no matter the political party in power, but like mm-hmm. white people are rallied depending on, you know, the spin of certain news media or like whether or not they feel like a particular white person is a bad white person in power or a good white person mm-hmm. in power. Um, yeah. So I just, um, yeah, really liked this chapter and thought it was, you know, really true. Onward, magical friends. Just as one does not simply walk into Mordor, one does not simply read fantasy without talking about race, class, gender, and ability. This is our segment about power and bodies and how they relate. I feel like so many things, and Get Me Kylo Ren could also go in this section today too, because so many villains and the villainy are products of the intersections where our characters live in the story. So I feel like these two sections are almost like put together this week. Exactly. (laughs) There's no... Borders are made up, everyone. That's another takeaway from the episode. (laughs) (laughs) Um, It's so true. Yeah. One thing that came up for me on... Sia's talking about it on page 127. Um... And it's like getting into this exploration of the proliferation of choices as being one of the core parts of privilege. And she says on page 127, quote, white guy, white people, guys especially, always imagine another way because their paths have always been saturated with forks. For Abuela and mi mama, there was no fork, no other way. End quote. So this is, you know, talking about, you know, all the bullshit that had been said to her since her mom had been, you know, hunted by ice and, you know, viciously deported. Yeah, the, like all of these like quote unquote should have done it legally or like should have had another way. And it's like, no, some people there is no other way. And these are just the choice. There's like there is the choice to survive and it points you in a direction and that's what you have to do. And people who have never been forced to make those choices can just like shut the fuck up. Yeah. You know, and and I think sometimes people forget these are life and death decisions that people are making for them and their families like that's that's the choice and the reality of the matter and it and it's not obvious to everyone that that's the case but uh, people wouldn't do it if it wasn't a last resort you know exactly exactly we see that um rose and sia which we'll definitely talk about their friendship which i uh, loved adored um that aspect of the book but rose is commenting on page 278 about how she and sia are quote very different shades of brown um, end quote. And it just affects how, obviously, each of them operates in the world and, you know, is perceived by other people. So I thought the book did a really good job of, for lack of a better term, like staying in their lane, I guess, about the racism that is experienced by um, the communities that the author is a part of, um, but not erasing or not giving not not giving space for other kinds of characters and developing them really well and making them multidimensional, um, but also not trying to take on their voice. So anyway, that's kind of like a winding comment. No, I mean, I totally agree. And I think the author does a good job of portraying it. Like these are the kind of things that happen to Sia because of her 
skin color and her status within the United States. This is what happens to Rose. She's being followed around stores, you know, um, that kind of thing because she's black. Her family's from Haiti. And then these are the kinds of things that happen to Omar because I think he was Pakistani, if I remember correctly. Um, I'm not remembering. Okay. I, it keeps like coming up in my head that that's was the case, but either way, I mean, he was, he was from the United States, but like his family, I think were Pakistani immigrants, but, um, either way he's middle Eastern. And then, so he experiences racism differently than Rose and Sia. And so I appreciated that, like this, this portrayal of like the different ways that people experience similar experiences. Mm-hmm. Yeah. On this, the, just that like Sia knows that obviously the characters know that they're growing up in this racist environment. It's like the water and you know that you're swimming in it as a fish. Um, Mm -hmm. But there's a lot about like martial arts and self-defense and Rose and Sia are learning how to fight and protect themselves from Sia's dad, who also has a name, but don't remember what it is. (laughs) (laughs) He's dad. (laughs) He's dad. Exactly. And yeah, I was like, I, this is something that was definitely, even though I grew up in a, incredibly white area and am white that like this like being steeped in this fear of male violence against people that are gendered as Mm -hmm. women is just like omnipresent and so parents are like learn how to (laughs) fight and like that was an ultimatum for me before I could travel by myself was like get your black belt in taekwondo and so I was like all right fine I'll do it because I want to do what I want to do um but just like the I thought it was just telling that this is, you know, our world is just seeped in this and we just kind of t- mm-hmm. we're like reacting to it rather than responding by changing the actual conditions that create the issue that we're like trying to punch in the face, you know? Yeah. And I think it's funny because I think I'm seeing this more and more. I saw TikTok, who knows when, because I watched so many TikToks, but there's this account um, of you know, maybe college aged guys. Um, and they talk about consent and things that make women uncomfortable and like kind of trying to, um, show people like what that means for women or people who are gendered as women. Um, and it kind of is like, I think the hard part for us, uh, is that sometimes like we are taught that we need to defend ourselves instead of, um, men being taught like you shouldn't do these things um right. and so Sia's dad recognizes that and is like the boys aren't being taught <laughs> not to be little pieces of shit so I'm gonna help you protect yourself mm-hmm. and I don't I think he's right for doing that for Rose and Sia but it's like so unfortunate that like people aren't teaching their boys their kids uh to you know respect people's boundaries and consent and like all those things like keep your hands to yourself it's not that big like it's not hard exactly and i think the the like education is incredibly especially egregiously lacking for cis men particularly cis Mm -hmm. white men like Mm -hmm. i know that my partner one of three boys was never ever given a sex talk like He got some abstinence-only education in school, in his school district, which is, like, not education at all. But, you know, (laughs) and I think that's just a microcosm of a larger cultural issue. Yeah, I agree. Uh, We see kind of, this kind of is related to that self-defense aspect, but we see Sia dealing with the PTSD of the situation where she was sexually assaulted. Um, And that kind of is where I think the self-defense and martial arts comes in. Right. But also the PTSD... 
PTSD of like losing her mom. There's just like so many things that Celia is dealing with all at once. Um, and we kind of see how that manifests in her, like her, like guarding herself from, from Noah and like, you know, trying to figure out ways to like fuck up Jeremy's shit, which I respect <laughs> <laughs> to an extent. It was his dad. So like, you know, sense of the father. Yeah. Et cetera, et cetera. Maybe. <laughs> yeah. Um, but we do just kind of see her dealing with this and her dad recognizing that this is something she's dealing with, with which I really appreciated um, that a parent would recognize how difficult this might be for their kid. Yeah, this kind of dynamic reminded me of Never Have I Ever, you know, where the, mm, the yeah. child is dealing with a loss and it, the child's in high school and PTSD and the parent is also dealing with a loss and is figuring out how to be, you know, a widow or widower. Yeah. As the case may be, since we have this gendered <laughs> language bullshit. <laughs> um, I was glad that we got a little bit of an explanation at the end about Artemisia Gentileschi. Um, yeah. Badass painter and person generally. Um, and it just is yet another tick on this like namesakes, names and power. Like what's the prophecy around your name coming into your power and by via like understanding what your name means and what your purpose is. And yeah, I just had to write this down. I was like, Oh, here it is again. Yeah. It just keeps coming up. <laughs> Finally, it's time for shipwrecked a segment about sexuality, asexuality, sex, romance, and relationships. And sometimes we take liberties and do some shipping of our own. So Sia and Noah are like, our OTP and so I cute. love them. Noah is so sweet. He's just like a generally good guy, I think. And like, I mean, he does lie to Sia for a little bit about like who his dad is and shit. But like, barring that, like he's really sweet and like very respectful of her and her boundaries and like all that stuff. So I really appreciated that. Totally, completely. Um, and then if we like, yeah, look at the why of the lying. I think it's also a good sign that he feels shame around how oh, yeah. shitty his dad is, you know? And, like, he mm -hmm. understands that he's connected to and has also suffered at the hands of this person. Yeah. Um, yeah, for sure. I just, I I loved the, like, um, the author did a really good job, like, showing the electricity that comes between them and, like, the, like gradual um rapport that develops and um one thing that i was really impressed by was like the top-notch depictions of consensual intimacy and non-penetrative sex yeah yeah we don't get that a lot in actual YA books <laughs> like an actual like non-fadeaway really necessary like it was a bit of a fade out which is fine because it's like they're children um but like of oral sex right mm -hmm. and yeah, and just, like, stopping or, like, Noah understanding when there wasn't enthusiastic consent and reading the body yeah. language because it's not about just yes or no. I mean, those are important yeah. words, but there's other ways that we communicate yes or no than just verbally. For sure. Um, yeah. But I just, I thought these were excellent. Excellent. Let's set everyone's standards as high as possible. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um, also, Rose and Sia's friendship. I loved how the book showed the way that teenage friendships can sometimes like fall apart when one or both of the friends starts dating mm -hmm. and like how they can like come back together. Like they've been friends for a really long time. Um, so I just really appreciated this depiction of their friendship and all the things that went along with that and 
how it can be kind of hard and like easy and like different ways. And I just thought this was really great. Yes. And just like the emotional roller coaster that it can be sometimes that friend love has attached to it, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Yes. I really love um, Rose. Rose is also friendship. queer. She starts dating. No, go ahead. She starts dating like Samara, I think that. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. Rose starts dating Samara, I think her name is, but she also like has a crush on Sia's dad. <laughs> <laughs> Which is like so funny to me. I'm like, oh my God. <laughs> um but yeah, so she's just whoever she wants to be with, that's who she wants to be with. She has like a very religious dad, so that's like he can be kind of a problem in the story, but um I just love this and like Rose isn't sure like what she wants to tell people which is fine she's in high school she's young and like also people don't need to you know give out more information than they want to anyways right um but I just like appreciated this depiction because it wasn't like it didn't feel like it was just there to make sure they like tick the box of having a queer person in the book like it just felt authentic and real and I just appreciated that yeah to the character totally 100 percent All right, now we're going to get a little bit into the nitty gritty that's out of the book content itself. And we're going to talk about writing style, narration, characterization, plot structure, and whatever else comes to mind in the segment called Kill Your Darlings. Speaking of darlings that need to be uh, dispatched, ye old Harry Potter um, was featured a medium amount. And honestly, this was like my one critique of the book, yeah, if I had to be same. honest. I That said... I mean, just because I'm like, I don't need those cultural references. I think we've come beyond it. And like, I get that they're still meaningful to people. And at the same time, I'm like, ya no puedo mas. Like, I can't anymore with this. Yeah. Um, I'm just looking up when this book came out. Because that also, I should have thought of that before. No, I think it's pretty recent. Um, oh, it's 2020? Okay. So. So written I in, think that in is, the years before that. Yeah, yeah. And so I don't like blame the author, but I agree like, oof, oof. Yeah. And I think just especially in light of the fact that like, quote unquote, Robert Gale, Gale Braith or whatever, yeah. <laughs> her fucking pen name just came out with a story that she swears is not inspired by real life events. But the story is about a canceled racist is. transphobe. And mm-hmm. I'm like, mm, I just art imitates life imitates art, baby. Yeah. So yeah but I, I am ready to be done with these references now <laughs> yeah i know and one thing i did that said you know all of that we'll put that there and then uh, at the same time i did appreciate how the uh, like this aspect of the book was focusing more on the fandom and how mm-hmm. rose is writing queer fan fiction about draco and harry you know and then she moves to buffy which i was like we can move to buffy and battlestar those are like millennial media references that have i think aged a little bit better <laughs> Maybe. I mean Joss Whedon though. Oh <laughs> like, fuck. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. Damn it. <laughs> this is why we can't have nice things. This is why we need no, more non cis dudes behind the camera. Yeah, yeah. Um, something I really appreciate about um the story is that Sia's dad has a PhD. I feel like in a lot of stories and when we think about access to higher education in the United States in particular, we picture white men or specific groups of international students as having access to that degree of higher learning. So it was great to see um, a breaking with this stereotype. I think if you like searched a picture of like PhD person, whatever, you'd probably just have like a bunch of pictures of white dudes. So um, I appreciate this um, because I don't think it's something we see 
in stories very often. And I just love that like her dad just got to, you know, nerd out about his plants and be like tagging the nopales out in the field and (laughs) all the cacti. And we just get to uh, see someone who's, you know, dedicated to their intellectual pursuits and yeah, who's not white. And that's amazing. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Love this. And um, <laughs> um, I don't know, maybe just like take this as a grain of salt because I'm like a fucking white person with a PhD. But at the same time, a PhD isn't necessarily the amazing like be all end all like that societal narratives try and convince us that it is. You know, it's a institution made by white men for white men who, you know, were monks in the in initially and then also had like women doing all of their research but didn't give their give them credit you know for a long time there's a lot of unpaid labor and um that disproportionately affect affects like black indigenous people of color when they're in academic spaces um which is you know not not something i can speak to in my lived experience obviously um you know but also i've like known plenty of people who are like fucking broken at the end of the phd and you know i was and you know, had to take some time to recover and then like not to mention broke. (laughs) So, Mm -hmm. and like jobs aren't guaranteed depending on your field. Um, And I don't think that's publicized, especially within departments and they don't Mm -hmm. support people enough to transition out of academic work. Um, So like all that to say is just like that (laughs) my lived experience made side comments about like Sia quote unquote, not being able to get pregnant until she has a PhD, like not quite sit right with me. And yet I get it, you know, like, uh, and at the same time, like maybe Sia doesn't want to get pregnant ever. Maybe Sia doesn't want a PhD ever, you know? Yeah. <laughs> like we n- don't necessarily have to project onto our children. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but like, I get that you want the best and amazing, like Sia would be an amazing professor or whatever. But so this is why I'm like, I put it in there and also like fucking mute me or whatever. <laughs> if I need to be muted. <laughs> Okay, so all hail the short chapters. Yes. I'm a convert. Like, I loved this part of the writing style and definitely prefer the shorter chapters, I think. Um, it helps the pacing. And also, they were kind of like vignettes, which reminded me of, like, Sandra Cisneros's writing, like House on Mango Street, you know, where there's really short chapters and you get, like, incredibly vivid scenes and they're super poetic and a lot is happening and you get so much character development. And then you switch to something totally different. And so it might be a bit whiplashy, but at the same time, it like lets the reader fill in. And it's more like a mosaic rather than like a play by play. Yeah, I really enjoyed the short chapters. It also makes it like, so each chapter has like this sense of urgency almost. So you're like, oh, I need to know what's going to happen next. Um, So I really enjoyed that too. And just like the one lines and things like that too. They were almost like poems sometimes, Mm -hmm. right? I had to shout out chapter 73, which is just like an ode to tardigrades, which are the tiny microscopic water bear beings. If you haven't seen a picture, I will link one in the show notes, but they are so cute. Um, Also a little scary, but I just, I love how the author is like, and see via Sia's voice giving um, like credit to some of these old old beings that have been here since the like primordial soup days when we emerged yeah. from the water and <laughs> became more than one cell organisms and things like that um I, it was like a very just in general in the book there was like a, a 
more than human perspective that is just mm-hmm. like I would love to see more of. Okay, before we end, it's time for real talk. Did reading this book make your perspective change in any way or did it make you interrogate a concept, system, or trend that you hadn't before? Jesse's gonna take us away. Okay, so let me start by saying this isn't gonna be a fun real talk topic. Um, so while I really hated Jeremy slash Noah's dad in the story, I appreciated this depiction um, because he's a cop, but he's also abusing his children and former wife. Mm-hmm. Um, so for those that don't know, my dad was a cop and an abusive piece of shit. And I appreciate this depiction because I think a lot of time we get these depiction of cops as either really good or only see how they abuse their power against people in their community. But I think for families of cops and especially the cops who are abusive at home it can be difficult because who do you turn to for help like they make you feel like their job will protect them or they tell you that their job will protect them because it probably will um and especially as a kid you feel like you have nowhere to turn so that's kind of like (laughs) such a downer at the end but i just felt this so hard and so seeing this depiction like I really appreciated it and I hope that other people can like find some comfort and seeing like their experiences um in the books as well yeah I just want to say thank you for sharing this I didn't not didn't know that your dad was a cop actually yeah <laughs> but um yeah I've heard the there's that statistic that gets floated around about you know 40 percent or more of cops are domestic abusers as well um Mm -hmm. and 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 yeah that the the novel shows how community can be a potential answer to this conundrum right because Sia's mom and dad helped Noah's mom leave her abusive you know sheriff husband or whatever um but yeah there's so much to say and feel around what you shared and it doesn't seem like there's like robust systems in place to help those people who are you know essentially trapped you know in abusive situations yeah and I think it can be hard too because like people have to like recognize that the abuse is happening and like feel compelled or feel safe enough to do something about it and that can be hard when someone like the person doing like committing the acts of abuse are working with law enforcement so it just it's very complicated and it's very difficult but yeah all right my little real talk thing is a totally different turn good (laughs) Um, so uh, in chapter 160 abuela is coming through with more wisdom and this chapter is talking about all of the quote-unquote hidden worlds that are contained within the one which we are currently experiencing um whether that's you know, the different bodies that we inhabit from the emotional body, the physical body, spiritual body, if you're into that, relationally, how we connect with other people. And also like just being animals at the end of the day and how we're just like so programmed by the amygdala and like lizard brain and things like that. And it's like, we are not different. Like call humans, not like the humans are animals. We're animals. I agree. (laughs) Are we ready for some card questions? They're prepared. They got the cards ahead of time. (laughs) And Kelly knows that I love the sound effects so much. (laughs) I think I started them thinking that they would be annoying and they just turned into... They bring me so much joy. (laughs) 
Okay, this is going to be a pretty easy question to answer. Okay. Which character would you least like to be? You know, it's a toss-up between Jeremy and, like, his dad. So, like, <laughs> uh, probably Jeremy's dad. Although, like, all those government agents, like, they're pieces of shit, too. So. <laughs> so true. I agree. I'm just piggybacking off of your answer because they're great. This is great. <laughs> um, what does this book have to say about forgiveness? Hmm. Hmm. Maybe it's a, like a a forgive if you need to in order to release that weight off of your soul but don't forget yeah and i feel like especially like thinking of jeremy like by the end sia understands that like like we talked about earlier like he's kind of a product of his upbringing so like there needs to be some sense of forgiveness there but that doesn't mean that you like put yourself in situations to be harmed by him and doesn't necessarily mean that you forget about the harm that he did so yeah i agree all right let's do let's see if we have another one um what was the climax of the story I mean, it's hard because, like, finding out about the aliens, like, I didn't, like, read anything about this book. So did <laughs> you didn't know that, that there was a UFO? No. But, like, when they land that UFO and, like, you know, in front of the Centennial building or whatever, the newspaper, I was like, damn, that's badass. <laughs> that was pretty cool. That was pretty cool. Um, I kind of, there was, like, a second climax at the end of the story with, like, the, the cloning and her mom yeah. potentially being alive. Or, like, was her mom a clone the whole time? I don't know. And can Because, like, at the end, Abuela is, like, your mom lives. Or at least that was my interpretation of the Spanish. Yep, that's what, that's <laughs> um, what she said. That's exactly what she said. Got it. Yes. <laughs> um, so I'm, like, was that a clone of her mom? Yes, or like, that's my guess. Her mom? I don't know. Yeah, I think so. Anyway, I hope we get another book, then we get to find out. Me too. Thanks for listening to The Library Coven. We'll be back in two weeks for a discussion of Blood Mart by Tracy Dan. Finally! Ooh. Can't wait! As always, we'd love to be in conversation with you magical folks. Let us know what you think of the episode, anything we missed, or just say hi by dropping a line in the comments or by reaching out to us on Twitter or Instagram at The Library Coven. This is the time where I go off script after Jesse just so <laughs> beautifully does not. Um, you all know that you can subscribe so that you get all of our shows directly to you and that we would really love if you would rate the show because it helps um with algorithms and other oppressive technologies that we have to deal with in this capitalist (laughs) um yeah you didn't i didn't get a capitalism diatribe in holy shit i'm so sorry (laughs) well here we go i'm putting one in here at the end um and also if you're able to support our labor financially speaking of finances um you can make a one-time donation to us on Coffee, And also you can support us monthly on Patreon or you can shop at our bookshop.org affiliate page. Until next time, stay magical. Do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do